It's easy to notice the distance between people, across a room, across the aisle, across the globe. Often, the media, politicians, educators, and even our neighbors seem to emphasize difference, creating chasms between us. But what if the shortest distance between two people is actually a story? Welcome to The Shortest Distance, Story Center's new podcast. We'll be sharing stories and conversations that explore the joys and challenges of human connection. Our teaser episode, Fuse Beads, is a snapshot of pandemic moments. It's told by Amy Hill, a program director at Story Center, and features Jacqueline Stewart. They didn't exist when I was a kid. Tiny, bright-colored, cylindrical beads that fit snugly together on a specially made stand to create flat shapes dotted with holes. A tiger's face, a flower, a mandala. We have a drawer full of these essentially useless plastic objects, not counting the few that became refrigerator magnets or keychains, all produced since the pandemic began by my 10-year-old daughter, Fauna. My favorite is light green around the sides with a yellow and orange interior and a single dot of red in the middle. It's a necklace of jagged triangles that looks like a crown or a boat strung on bright pink thread. My husband has the other half in different colors. When you hold them together along their widest edges, they make a star. Fauna brought them home last spring after spending the afternoon with her babysitter, our lockdown savior. From mid-March through mid-June of 2020, she took care of her own daughter, Fauna, and one other friend, Monday through Friday, as soon as they got out of what can only loosely be described as online school. The girls spent hours working with these fuse beads, We bought gallon jug-sized containers of them and still couldn't keep up with the demand. The gentle press of an iron through waxed paper binds the beads and makes the shapes complete, whole, fused. Somehow, the idea of these beads, of shapes separated but together, started appearing everywhere for me. In aerial photos of large circles chalked six feet apart on the grass at Dolores Park in San Francisco to keep people socially distant. In images of graves being dug on that island in New York. And in the wheels of trucks spraying disinfectant through nighttime streets across the world in Tehran. The beads were mirrored by the round pieces of crunchy rice cereal that for a while was my preferred pandemic stress food, and on my laptop, which, like everyone privileged enough to be working from home, I was spending more time with than ever, the fuse bead circles morphed into Zoom rectangles, occupied by people, some I'd known before, some I hadn't. Inside these rectangles, we started listening to coronavirus stories, offering people an intimate chance to share what the pandemic has really been like for them. For the past 15 years, I've been working with Story Center. We help people find and share everyday stories from their own lives, so 
Of course, COVID forced us to switch all our programs to Zoom. In our storytelling workshops, sometimes we do introductions by inviting each person to tell a story about their name. Mine is usually how I was named for my great-aunt Amy, who was a nurse. For a while when I was growing up, I wanted to be one too, but I had a really serious kidney infection and would have died if antibiotics hadn't been invented, so I had to get my blood drawn every couple of months. And this led me to develop a serious fear of needles, which led to my decision to not become a nurse. Telling that story in online workshops during COVID times, I've wondered, what if I had become a nurse? How hard must it be to witness so much illness and death? Would I feel like I was doing something important? Or would I just worry about bringing the virus home to my family? Would I be even more frustrated about the people who claim the pandemic is overblown? And how thoughtless and uncaring is that, given the reality of the people being hospitalized and the health providers who are taking care of them? Especially in the early days, when so much was unknown, this stuff floated in and out of my foggy brain, alongside visions of fuse beads and doubts about whether we're offering anything meaningful with our COVID storytelling sessions on Zoom. So, when I read Jacqueline's story, I thought I should talk to her. She came to one of these sessions maybe a month or so into the lockdowns, and then submitted a piece of writing to us. I sent her an email, told her how much I appreciated what she shared, and asked if I could record her reading it for a podcast we were thinking of creating. We met up from our respective computer screens, me in Berkeley, her in New York, and after some idle chit-chat, which at the time I guess I was starved for, given all the isolation, I asked her to start by introducing herself. Okay, so my name is Jacqueline Stewart, and I am a nurse home visitor for a Nurse Family Partnership in New York City. Yep, you guessed it. She's a nurse. A nurse home visitor is just what it sounds like, someone who sees people in their homes or in their local communities, like at a park, instead of in a healthcare setting. Okay, so just read the story. Do I have to read the heading? I told her, sure, why not? And then she began. The Essential Nurse Home Visitor. The world has finally recognized the importance of nurses. Stores are allowing nurses to go in. Oh, gosh, I have to start all over again. That's okay. That's okay. Take your time. Okay. The world has finally recognized the importance of nurses. Stores are allowing nurses to go first in line. I do not feel essential as a nurse. One day when I was leaving Walmart, the cashier thanked me for my service. And I told her that it was I who appreciated her for her service, for being there on the real front lines. I was just a nurse home visitor working from home. The following week, I had a call with one of my clients who has twin girls. She seemed very overwhelmed with these girls. And our visit consisted of me just doing FaceTime and talking to the girls and letting my client express her feelings. At the end of the call, she told me how much she appreciated me. And she thanked me for being her supporter and listening to her issues. It's then that I realized that I am essential, but I am essential in a very different way. Every time a client calls or texts me without me initiating it first, it makes me feel essential. 
when they ask me for information and I can provide them with knowledge and experience, it makes me feel essential. So I finally learned that I don't actually have to lay my healing hands on someone to be essential. I just am. Okay. Yay, it sounds great. How did it sound to you? It sounded okay. I think it sounded really good. Yeah. Okay. I asked Jacqueline what it was like to share that story, which, like I said, she had told originally in an online storytelling session. In her case, one that was specifically for nurses. Um, I felt vulnerable, I want to say. Sometimes when you question who you are and you question what you do, especially with the pandemic and people are looking at you for answers that you don't have, it's just hard. It's hard to be in a profession that everyone is celebrating, but I kind of wasn't celebrating myself. I said I was having a tough time believing in myself, too. And then we talked a little bit about what it means to be vulnerable. For me... Even if it's scary at first, it always feels like a relief or like a direct route to somehow trusting myself more. Then I asked what the hardest thing is for her about working remotely. So you pretty much lose all of the hands-on things that you used to do if you worked in the hospital or you worked in a nursing home. Or I'm a very touchy-feely person, so... Me not being able to touch someone, even now, like, you know, my clients, like every time we leave each other, we hug, you get a hug or, you know, this could be the only hug they get for that day. So to me, that was at least one of the things that I could give. And being in the pandemic where you can't touch people now, it's a different kind of a world that we have to get used to for the time being. I thought about people yearning for hugs, my single friends. And I felt sad. I told Jacqueline that even though it's a lot of togetherness, I feel lucky that I live with my husband and daughter. We talked about our respective households. She's got two sons at home with her, one who's 13 and one who's in college, and also an adult niece, so she doesn't feel lonely either. We kind of marveled at how quickly people have adapted, and we also agreed we couldn't imagine going through a pandemic without the devices however imperfect they are. Then I shared my backstory about having wanted to be a nurse and asked why she decided to go into nursing. I, my family's from the Caribbean, and when they grew up, it was in the 50s and 60s, and that's when people went to England to get like opportunities to get jobs, and a lot of the jobs that they had was, you know, like you go to nursing school. Her mom trained as a nurse in England, where she also met and married her dad, And they had Jacqueline and her brother. And then later... I had a great aunt. And what she did was when she came to America in the 50s, she sponsored people to come to America. My mom was already a nurse. So Jacqueline's parents and the kids came over in this way. And on her own choice to be a nurse, this is what she said. I did not want to become a nurse. When I went to school, I studied psychology. I really loved it. And my mom was like, all right, I don't see anything that you're going to do with that. She was like, I already know you have nursing in your blood. You just, you're going to be a nurse. And I was like, no, I'm not. I love that I wanted to become a nurse, but didn't. And Jacqueline didn't want to be a nurse and yet eventually ended up there. People would always say to me, "Um, you're so caring and you're so nurturing. I like taking care of people. 
So I, I, I like to fix things. You know, I like to be able to see something that's like, okay, you have a wound and now it's healed. Or, you know, I helped you with something. Or I just like that part of nursing, just being able to take care of things. When I listened to our conversation later, I saw that part of myself that just wants to take care of stuff, or at least help my daughter feel somewhat okay while a pandemic unspools around us. And then I thought about the precious moments of calm I have when I'm not having to take care of anything or anyone. They come mostly during my morning jogs, down to the park, crammed between our neighborhood and the freeway. After the aggravation of encouraging Fauna to work on an assignment or at least read a book, the electricity of my feet against the earth, and the chance to just be out of the house help me metabolize the stories I'm hearing and play back the ones I'm living. The ones screaming to come out but left silenced by my need to get things done or just by my exhaustion. Jacqueline was worn out too. She talked about how many of her colleagues cut their hours or left their jobs because of COVID-19, which just piled more responsibility on her. We did joke a bit about all those people early on during the lockdowns who seemed to have endless time to bake sourdough bread. Definitely not us. And I asked her how she was handling the stress. I do a lot of crafting. So like I have so many things in my house like that I've painted or I've embossed. <laughs> I wanted to mention the craft of choice in our house, the fuse beads, but I didn't want to interrupt her. I want to say I'm like a grill master because I started grilling, um, learning how to not burn things on the grill. Um, I actually splurged on some patio furniture that my son helped me put together. So we made outside like a little bit of a haven. So I think that's my guilty pleasure is just to go and sit back there and look and just breathe and it's quiet. I pictured her, relaxing on a hot New York afternoon without a mask. I even imagined myself enjoying the new patio furniture with her, us drinking lemonade together. And then later in the recording, she mentioned her strategy for avoiding overwhelm. I, I, I can't live in chaos. So I have my schedule. I have my stuff to do. When I wake up, I look at that day, and then I figure out how much more can I put in that day. I don't want to take on too much. I just want to take on just enough that I can do, and then that's it. I visualized the days on her calendar, one after another. Days distinct in their details, yet blurring together. Somewhere around the time that Jacqueline and I had our conversation, my daughter Fauna burst into the house at the end of another afternoon of painstaking fuse bead creation. I can't forget the smile on her face when she said, Look, Mama, I made this for you. She held the half-star fuse bead necklace out to me, and I took it and told her, It's so beautiful, thank you. Which it is. How can a star, even bisected, not be? She ran off to give the other half to her dad, who, of course, has his own stories. Too precious and complicated to fit into this one. Now, an entire year clouded by COVID-19 has drifted by. Our babysitter moved to another city, 
But the fuse bead circles continued to show up as a kind of connective tissue of shapes for me. I saw them in the signs we made for the protests over the summer against George Floyd's murder, and then in the colored dots on the GPS maps telling us whether we could go outside during the fires that raged across the west coast of North America last fall, in photos of cast-off masks littering hiking trails and beaches that reminded me of the painful impact of disposables and plastics, fuse beads included, in the pencil marks I made on my mail-in ballot, hoping with every cell in my body for change, in the tears of relief cried by doctors when they saw the first trucks loaded with vaccine doses, poised, ready. My half of the fuse bead necklace hangs on a standing mirror on my dresser, next to a small jewelry box and a photo of Fauna when she was about four months old. Sometimes when I see it dangling there, I feel gratitude so deep it makes me catch my breath. For the fact that we're housed, we're healthy, we're employed, we're together. And also worry that I'm not available enough, not connected enough, to myself, to her, to everything. Of course the two parts of the necklace make a whole, but what about its brokenness? What about the anger and the complaining and the chipping away at family harmony with so much disruption? What about the gradual diminishment of Fauna's interest in her class's daily online meetings? Or the longer and longer cuddling sessions that preface a bedtime that's gotten later and later, resulting in dark circles under her brown eyes? A few weeks ago, her dad said, I can tell she's hurting. Her eyes have lost their sparkle and I felt awful to think of it, and like a horrible parent, because he noticed and I didn't. But it's also true that a new season is here, patience and forgiveness are here. People are still coming to our COVID storytelling workshops online. I have a feeling we'll keep doing them for a while. Fauna's school is opening soon, or will have already by the time you hear this. I can't wait. But at the same time, I'll miss being a fly on the wall of her virtual classroom. Our days are so full that it's taken me more than half a year to write any of this down. Listening to my conversation with Jacqueline again took me back to an earlier COVID time. But I feel like what she said months ago, before we hung up, speaks to the sense of possibility and renewal of now. I just think the pandemic is making a lot of people really focus on what's important. And people keep saying the new normal, the new normal. To be honest, some of the things that we're considering the new normal should not be new. Like they just should be normal. Like you should normally wash your hands (laughs) and you should normally call your family. Um, You should normally eat together. When the pandemic is over, I'm hoping that people don't go back into these ways that, you know, that we've had before. We weren't appreciating each other. We weren't appreciating our family. We weren't spending time with our kids. I don't want to go back there. Sometimes I like to picture the memories I'll have in the future. I'll close my eyes, reach out, and pull open a drawer in a wooden cabinet, kind of like the old-fashioned card catalogs that libraries used to have. 
Inside, I'll find carefully labeled and exquisitely detailed fragments. The deep green color and softness of the small jacket I wore when I saw snow for the first time. The particular salty smell of my skin after floating in the waves under a full moon in Santa Barbara, stoned out of my mind. Years from now, I wonder what I'll see when I open the drawer holding an echo of my fuse bead necklace. The memory of Fauna's delight, sure, but what else will be nestled in beside it? This podcast was created by me, Amy Hill, and features the music of Max Avery Lichtenstein. Special thanks to Fauna Paul, Thomas Paul, and Jacqueline Stewart, who wrote, I love it, with a heart emoji, when she read the script that I emailed her to approve. Thanks also to Megan Covey, Jen Steinman, Ryan Truman, Georgia Hennessy Jackson, Parul Wadwa, Amanda Peckler, Allison Myers, and everyone who has shared a story in one of our pandemic workshops. To learn more about Story Center, visit us online at storycenter.org.